Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. Hey, welcome to uh, How to Exit, uh, and we're going to talk today with Joel Enke. Did I get that right, Joel? Joel Almost, Anke. man. Almost, man. We, <laughs> Like your ankle and your knee, ain't knee. All right. So I, I was telling him, I, I, I'm not really great with this. Sometimes I get names wrong. So if I, if I butcher it, he gets to call me out and get it right. We want, everybody, <laughs> we want you guys to know who he is. And, and towards the end, we're going to figure out how to uh, make sure he tells you how to get a hold of him, too. So... Uh, Joel here is both an attorney and he helps uh, in the acquisitions and mergers space, uh, commercial real estate and intellectual property. But he's also the author of two books that uh, caught my eye when he when he reached out and said hi. And uh, one of them is about uh, it says, what's the words exactly? Uh, what you should what your attorney should. Uh, yeah. What you, yeah. Sh- what you should know from your attorney if you're going to. buy. Yeah. A I mean, I have right. I even have a visual aid. So there you there's, go. there's a copy of it. Uh, but yeah. yeah, it's called Here's the Deal. Everything you wish a lawyer would tell you about buying a small business. So. Right. So, uh, you know. I'm I'm probably into this now for about twelve months. I've acquired a couple of small things, okay. and uh, I learned I learned some lessons uh, after yes. I turned the first one over to an attorney, and I was like, "Oh, now I put I have a checklist, right?" So we'll definitely yeah. get into that. Where, where I always like to start is I want people to kind of get to know who you are and and get to you know get to know you. And the question I like to ask is, uh, you know, start anywhere you're comfortable, but tell us about kind of who you are, where you're from, what you stand for, and what really kind of gets you going. Yeah, that's um, okay. Uh, you know, where I'm from, uh, I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, went to school, went to college out in Utah, went to law school at William & Mary in Virginia and have stayed in Virginia um, since then. Uh, practiced law with some very large law firms for about 11 years, 12 years, and then started my own practice about 18 years ago and I'm just by myself and uh, and I just focus on doing deals for people. So I do lots of small business merger and acquisition work. I do a lot of commercial real estate work. A lot of times that commercial real estate work is uh, kind of related to or associated with the, the M&A work. And, uh, and then I just advise people on um, lots of, uh, you know, operational issues like, uh, contracts that they're going to enter into with vendors or consultants or, uh, things like that. So that's, that's where I spend most of my time. Uh, I, I don't, I don't go to court. Um, that was actually a, a goal of mine when I decided to go to law school was I wanted to be a transactional attorney. I didn't want to be a, a trial attorney and, uh, and it's worked out really well for me. Um, What gets me going um, is uh, my kids. I have four sons. Uh, Their age is between 18 and 30 years old. So uh, we've had just, we love to do things outdoors and uh, be active and sports and just be together. And so that's really kind of my why. That's why I do what I do and, and, uh, and what's gets me going. I I do some, I've done some volunteer work in the past. I, I actually really enjoy working with, uh, with teenagers, um, and exposing them to, um, 
maybe that's not the right word, but, um, you know, but, uh, but introducing them to outdoor activities like mountain biking or skateboarding, things that we love to, or being on the river, I like the canoe as well and uh, kayak. Um, so those kinds of things, I love kind of being outdoors and being with a group of people who perhaps have not done it before, but who, as they go through the experience, it kind of, you know, broadens their horizons, maybe inspires them to, to take up a new hobby or something like that. And, and, you know, maybe inspires them to, to face some other challenges in their lives as well. So that's, that's kind of who I am, I think in a nutshell. It's really cool. So I have a, uh, just cause we're still getting to know each other too, yeah. right? I have a five-year-old and a 10-year-old and we love to go outside. We like to go fishing or if yeah. it's, you know, some days we just, you know, go out and take the hammocks out to the lake, set them up and they swim and splash, just splash oh, yeah. in the lake. I live about two miles, three miles from, uh, from the lake and probably about five or six miles from where we actually go to hang out at the water. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so we love the outdoors and I get it. You right? know, I'm a little old to have a five year old and a 10 year old, but, uh, I got started late in life. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I think it's all good. It's you're as young as you feel, I think. And, right. Uh, I'm, only... know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 57 this year and I still go skateboarding a couple times a week with my 18 year old son. So, um, you know, so, it's, Always the oldest guy at the skate park. <laughs> so yeah. that's fun. Uh, I actually skated as a teen, but I don't think I've been on a skateboard since my 20s. Uh, kind of somewhere along the way, I, can, I think I broke my ankle one too many times oh. and, and sold it off or something. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, no, I used to, uh, the first time I ever tried to, to jump in off a half pipe, I actually broke my ankle really bad. And nice. I was young, so I just duct taped it up real good. And mom came and got me. And she's like, what's all the duct tape around your, your shoes there? And I was like, well, I twisted my ankle. I had broke it in like four places and oh skated for two hours on it. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah, a little honorary as a kid. So cool. Let's uh, let's jump right into the acquisitions and mergers world and yeah. stuff. I love the title of your book. So uh, how about some insight? What are the things, you know, just off the top of your head, what are some things that we should know before we get into buying or selling a, a small business? I think that, that's a wonderful question. And, and that's really one of the main reasons why I wrote the book was because a, a lot of the people that I'm dealing with, it's their first time having a, a merger and acquisition experience, either their first time buying a small business or their first time selling a small business. And a lot of people I, you know, I've come to see over the years have felt like perhaps it's just an event. Like we, you know, they agree in principle, the buyer and the seller, and then they're just like, okay, let's just close it. You know, what's, what's the big deal, but it really is a process. And I wanted people to, I wanted to have a book that I could give people that kind of explains the process in, I, I can't ever say that I, uh, can speak completely in layman's terms, but I try and be as clear as a lawyer can be, perhaps, um, to help explain that process and some of the major issues that that people will encounter during, you know, in the process. So I think that you know one of the things that people are surprised at is how many pieces there are to the puzzle, and um, I want people to know what all the pieces are. And how they're going to get put together, because it does take time to put the puzzle together, to put the deal together. Um, go ahead. Uh, and a lot of the stuff I think you'll uncover through that probably should have been knowledge to that buyer or seller before the negotiations process, right? A lot of the guys, if you yeah. haven't had training, like before I had training, I just jumped in and 
like what's the price and i'll try to figure it out on a napkin and you'll know, you'll get some googling it's like, okay that sounds good let's close this thing right and then I, I went to a guy like you and you're like whoa have you done due diligence you know that if they're you know if they're LLCs in good standings. Have you seen their articles of incorporation? Have you seen their corporate minutes? I was like, nah, you do that stuff, right? And then I then I learned, you know. Then I then I went and actually I went and got trained by some guys and got a checklist. And we do a lot of that stuff before, you know. It has to be my criteria before I'd ever toss it over to a, you know a trained professional like yourself because I yeah. know the basics to look for, right? So right. so I can I can get that. What's the uh, like? What's one? I always like to ask this question. What's one myth or one thing that's out there in the industry you wish just didn't exist, right? A, a common uh, – in the buying and selling of business, there's there's a lot of stuff that's out there. Well, I'm a little biased, but I think one of the myths is that the lawyers are going to screw the deal up. Um, now, th- that's not to say that they there aren't – that that doesn't happen. And I, and I want to try and be real polite to my colleagues, but um, – you know, I've been doing M&A deals for almost 30 years now. And, right. um, but I do know that there are a lot of attorneys who think that doing an M&A deal for a small business is like, a you know, it's not a big deal. You know, it's easy, they think. They think it's easy. And so you'll have lawyers who aren't um, experienced in the, the M&A setting uh, take on a deal. Uh, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll be very candid. A lot of trial attorneys do deals and that, you know, it's, if they don't understand the process and they don't understand how to prioritize the issues and to filter out things that really don't, aren't that big of a deal and, and, uh, and then bring the the most significant things to the top and resolve those things, then they can kind of get in the way of the deal. Um, and so, but, but the myth, the overall myth is if you find, you know, that, that, I mean, if you do find a, an attorney who has the experience they're not going to screw the deal up for you. They should be able to help you with the deal, help you through the deal. So, and I can I can see that, and I laugh because both the mentors I uh, I've been trained under so far will tell you to bring the attorney in last because attorneys kill brokers and attorneys kill deals. Yeah. I mean, they just beat that in your train. And one of them is actually an attorney. Roland Fraser is an attorney, <laughs> and you know I'm I'm not going to quote him or anything, but I'm pretty sure even he said that the you know in the stage of things. The attorney comes in like once you know you're going to do this thing, right? Right. And, right. and you know, you, you know, and you've already done all your due diligence. But, uh, but you know, I can see that too. I mean, inside of the negotiation, you know, the second one of us brings an attorney to the table, the other one feels a need to have one also. Oh, sure. So there's, you know, in my process, you know. I wouldn't bring the attorney in until I, like, I know this is a done deal and now I need all the due diligence done. I need to see if there's any gotchas, but I, I make sure that the, the, the seller's aware too, Yeah. right? The seller's aware that, okay, I'm going to have an attorney review. This is due diligence phase. I'm going to have the attorney, you know, look through this with a fine tooth comb. Is there anything I should know that he's going to find? Cause he's going to look closer than I did. And right. uh, this is part of the closing process and I educate them in that. So it doesn't kill the deal, but uh, I've had, I, you know, I've had more than one attorney, you know, like, oh, this is a horrible deal. And I was like, yeah, maybe for you, but I kind of know what I'm doing with this. And it's a part of a bigger puzzle. Right. And then, you know, it's like, you know, unless you're in the mergers and acquisitions guy and you're, you know, a financial advisor, I, please quit giving me the advice that it's a, it's a bad deal. I, I don't want to hear that. Right. right. Now, if you tell me like one of them, there's a legal issue that they can't transfer. There were shares owed, owned by somebody that they yeah. didn't disclose until they gave the paperwork over. Now that's another story, right? There's right. some, there's a real roadblock there or, or a, you can call it not a roadblock, but a hump we got to get over. So, right. 
Well, I, I think you bring out two uh, important, really important things. One is a question that I get asked all the time is, when do you bring the attorney into the deal? What's the right timing? And um, I, I, you know, I still search for an answer, a, a real specific answer to that question. But I, I, in some instances, bringing me in toward the end of the deal is just perfectly fine. But in other instances, it might be good to at least have me involved in a limited role toward the, the, the front end of the deal. Um, and I'll give you a, a quick example. Um, I had a, uh, a person that, that I had been working on. We had probably worked on five potential acquisitions. Um, the first four fell through at various stages. Um, but probably on the second deal, we got to the letter of intent stage and I drafted the letter of intent. And um, anyway, by the time we got to the fifth deal, uh, they had decided that because I had already drafted one letter of intent, they didn't need me to draft another one. So they just used the one from the second deal and changed a few things and put, and, and you know what, I don't have a problem too much with that, but I wish they had had me look at it for five minutes before they sent it out because they missed some stuff and they, uh, and, and they left in some stuff that didn't apply to this to the fifth deal. So um, in the end, it didn't really matter because they came to me and I drafted the purchase agreement and I got the things in there that that needed to be in there. Um, and, and what do I mean by that? I mean the the, the second deal was a um, a hard asset deal for lack of a you know for the, the easy way to describe it and the fifth deal was a completely online business so lots of intangible assets copyrights trademarks domain names things that needed to be transferred in a certain way but um they weren't addressed in the letter of intent at all so but we got them into the purchase agreement and everything was fine right. so I, I think that that's but but it is a it's a difficult question sometimes you know what what's the right timing um i I kind of sometimes I tell people, well, if you feel like you can't sleep at night, maybe you ought to call the lawyer and ask him or her a question or two, let them look at a few things, kind of get them involved. But uh, because, you know, when you start to take those risks on and, and it's really more on the buyer side than on the seller side, seller side is is a lot easier from from a legal perspective. You know, my uh, answer, I get that question, too. And my answer is always is that two things. First one is. The second, you know, the answer is to when you bring an attorney in, the second the other party has an attorney, you probably should have one you yeah. know, there yeah. too. Yes. Attorneys attorneys communicate better with attorneys. It's just natural. And uh, it stops some of the, you know, the the weirdness that can happen if one side has an attorney and the other one's trying to, to wing it. And yes. the, the second answer to the question is how many deals have you done, right? Because if you've done a bunch and you've, you've done this process, you know what your attorney is going to ask. And bringing them on later is probably going to save you a few hours, but if you have it, then it's, it, you know, it, it's all based on skill set, right? I have yeah. a checklist. I know what I need to see. I know that a lot of, you know, a lot of them are going to be no's before on my side, right? Before we get to the point where an attorney needs to draw up anything, um, you know, and I'm comfortable with the draft of the letter of intent. You know, drafting it up, thinking what I have, but I like mm -hmm. to have it reviewed. So, I, you know, I put in yeah. everything I, you know, I think, you know, I've had in others that applies to this, and then I just I have a, a professional review it. Yeah, and and I think that one of the things that you're kind of implying, which I think that I want to bring to the front, is that 
part of your role as the client is to help manage the deal. And part of managing the deal is managing the professionals, the lawyer. And if you involve a CPA, a business valuation company, things like that. And so the, the more you know about how to work with those people, the, the better, um, you know, because I, I like to feel like I'm on your team. I, I don't want to be I don't want to be necessarily the, you know, the star point guard or something like that. I just want to be, I'm on your team. I want you to feel comfortable talking to me. I want you to feel like you can, you know, use me as much or as little as you want and that you're not going to get, you know, kind of build to death um, on things. And so listening to your experience helps me understand that you you have already kind of decided on you've worked with enough lawyers you've worked on enough deals but the person who's going to do it for the first time is um that's a you know it's a little harder to answer that question for them because they're uh, you know they're, they're they don't they don't have that experience managing a, a lawyer so my favorite question is if you have to ask me you should probably call your attorney right yeah. <laughs> once you get to a certain comfort level you you wouldn't be asking a guy like me a question like that right you right. Just wouldn't. so I think lawyers are like shoes too right you got to find the right fit um, you know you and and you don't want to you know for lack of a better analogy you don't want to buy a, a Gucci loafer when all you need is a you know a flip-flop or something like that. I shouldn't say that's really that's too extreme <laughs> but but I mean you know lawyers come in different shapes and sizes and what I mean by that is not their physical appearance but their experience um, the industries that they've worked with the size of law firm that they're in their billable hour rate you know things like that and so um yeah I hate to, you know, I've got a deal in right now that's, I almost hesitate even taking because the purchase price is only like $60,000, but there's still, I still have to do the same amount of work. And so, you know, we talk about fees and, and things like that, but, um, but they don't need, you know, for example, if they had gone to a 500 attorney law firm for that kind of a deal, that wouldn't be a good fit. Not at all. I'm a much better fit, but um, likewise, I had a client that I helped start up and, and have worked with them operationally for 25 years. And last year they came to me and they said, we're, we've got an offer to sell. Um, it's going to be a $30 million, approximately $30 million purchase price. We need to close in three weeks. Uh, and, uh, everything that's going to be transferred essentially are government contracts. And I said, yeah, you need to hire a different law firm for that. Someone who has got all that experience with the transferring government contracts and uh, who can put, you know, five to 10 lawyers on this so that you can do all the due diligence and close the deal within, within that, that time frame. And they did it. They, they found a firm that was able to, to get through all that. And they closed in three weeks, which is pretty amazing to me. That is impressive. Yeah. The due diligence process alone is, uh, you know, in my world takes, you know, takes that long. Yeah. Right. And, uh, so if you look at the overall, like the flow of a, of a deal, you know, what areas do you think that, you know, an entrepreneur or somebody looking to become an entrepreneur by a business, they should probably never go alone. You know, I know of some that I think of, like the financials. If you haven't read a bunch of financials, you should probably have a CPA take a, a second look at those. I Maybe I have a forensic CPA on staff that, you know, helps me pull stuff apart and, and put it back together when I need her. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, 
what other areas, as an attorney, what other areas along the deal, like, man, you really should have a professional look at, you know, X. I think it, um, I mean, certainly a CPA, uh, a lawyer, and then depending on the industry, um, you might need some subject matter experts. Um, so, for example, if you're going to buy a convenience store that has gas pumps out in front of it, you're definitely going to want to have an environmental engineer come in and do a at least a phase one environmental site assessment um, because there's a, a, a large risk there uh, when you buy, even if you do an asset deal, uh, when you buy that convenience store, you're going to become the successor to the environmental liabilities on the property. Um, the asset deal is not going to shield you from that just because of the way the laws are written. Um, so uh, again, subject matter experts, if you're in certain types of industries um, and, you know, of course, if you're going to finance the deal with a commercial bank, then you want to have a loan officer who's in the deal toward the beginning so that you can help understand what kind of money is going to be available to you and how, you know, you want to get them comfortable with the deal sooner rather than later as right. well. Yeah, the environmental thing you touched on was something that, you know, kind of popped up earlier this year. Um, I had a connection, a friend who is in California buying a manufacturing plant mm-hmm. that does welding and they use liquid uh, chemicals on the welding process. Oh yeah. And, uh, that they had to do an EPA study on the on the runoff and stuff on the ground, and that place was bad. Now he's looking like how does he mitigate the the environmental you know liability of like I guess they do, they actually do core samples and stuff. I don't mm-hmm. know if all states do this, but they do this you know phase study where they do uh, they took core samples of the ground, put took it to the lab, and I guess the uh, shop has been spraying the floors down for a while. Oh, no. <laughs> I, don't lot. I don't know what was going on, but he's kind of like you know what do you do about that. Well, yeah, I, what I would, the short answer is find a different deal. I mean, that's <laughs> I spent the first three years of my career as an environmental lawyer um, representing mostly like uh, large companies, Fortune 500 companies and helping them with compliance issues. And uh, so we were looking at large manufacturing facilities, doing a lot of auditing and, and things like that. Um, but it is scary if you get, you know, from my perspective, if if you have to go from a to a phase two, in other words, you do the phase one site assessment and the environmental um, consultant says, hey, this property appears to be so dirty that we need to take core samples and send them to a lab. In a small M&A deal, you're probably at a threshold where you seriously want to think about looking for a different deal because – there, there. It's almost. I don't want to say it's impossible to mitigate those liabilities, but it's very difficult. And one, you know, there, there are creative ways to do it. So, for example, if you can convince the seller to put a, a significant portion of the purchase price uh, in escrow, so that if you do have to do some cleanup, um, you know, within a year or two after you close, or you have to close some underground storage tanks or above ground storage tanks or things like that. And you, you, that money sits in the escrow so you can draw down on it to reimburse yourself. I mean, that's, that's a creative way to do it. But most sellers in small M&A deals aren't going to be real happy about tying up their purchase price. Um, uh, you know, I just, I just closed out an escrow that was an 18-month post-closing escrow. Um, and fortunately, there were no drawdowns on the escrow, but um, I was representing the seller. 
but he was happy. You know, obviously he didn't want to tie his money up for 18 months, but we got it all back. So that worked out. But other than that, you know, a lot of people will say, well, um, you know, in the, in the purchase agreement, we'll have indemnification. We'll have some really strong indemnification language. And that's, that's a necessary part of the purchase agreement. But the indemnity is only as strong as the financial resources of the seller. So if the seller, for example, is selling the business so that they can retire or they're going to sell the business and then distribute the, the purchase price out to pay a lot of, of loans off, in other words, if at the end of the day, the seller's really not going to have any money, <clears throat> excuse me, after closing, then your indemnity doesn't have a lot of strength. Um, and so that's, I mean, again, yes, the indemnity should be there, but you can't really rely on it in, unless the seller is going to stick around for a long time and has a lot of financial resources uh, that you can get to. Uh, there may be some creative insurance uh, products out there. I just don't, that's an area I don't know too much about, but there aren't a lot of ways to, that's why I say it's probably better <clears throat> to focus your creative energy on finding a different deal. That's exactly what I told him. I was like, number one, it's California. Number two, they're, oh, already, yeah. saying, they're already doing core samples. You're not getting away from that. If you've right. ever seen that, what they do to you know to mediate that, they pull the soil off and haul it off or whatever, yeah. you know, it could be very expensive, right? You oh, yeah, dig, absolutely. have to dig a giant hole, then turn around and fill it back in or something. So, yeah, yeah I get that. So we're talking about real estate a little bit. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed in um, – the two different groups I'm with as far as the, uh, you know, acquisitions or mergers groups was there wasn't anybody uh, there. Both, sorry, both gurus actually teach us a sell and lease back strategy as part of the way to finance part of the deal. Mm -hmm. But I, there was no like built in group of people who would do that. So I went out, I'm, I've got a real estate background. That's my background is okay. uh, residential mostly, but you know, I used to own the local RIA and some other stuff. So I know all the investors in town. So I build teams is what I do. So I built a team and we do the sell leaseback part of acquisitions and mergers. So say um, right now we have one that's supposed to close in a few weeks. That's a bunch of dental offices on the, uh, on the West coast and the, you know, the seller want to own the own the property and the buyer bought it all and now needs to pay the seller down some of the you know money that's on the payment so he doesn't need to own the real estate so he, he sells it to these uh mergers and acquisitions or sorry sells it to these uh, p and e firms and, and real estate investment trust and then leases it back for 15 years um have you seen that done is that some of the stuff that you would look at as far as uh part of the creative structure of deals? Well, I, I, to answer the questions in reverse order, I certainly could do deals like that, but I know I haven't really seen that done here. Um, most of my real estate work is, you know, for example, you, you talk about a, a collection of dental offices. I may help a, a dentist. In fact, I'm working with a, a dentist right now who sold his practice and now is selling his uh, dental office, the real estate is sitting empty right now, but, uh, you know, he's selling it to another dentist. So my transactions are typically on the, um, uh, you know, the w one building at a time kind of, uh, now I did do a deal a couple of years ago, and I think this is a little bit more common for me, not, not exactly what you're talking about, but 
where um, you know my client sells the business but may, holds on to the real estate and leases the real estate to the buyer, and then gives uh, you know in this particular instance, the last one I did, we gave the buyer an option to buy the real estate, which they exercised about a year or two after closing. Um, that helped them figure out how much cash, how much the, the business was going to cash flow, and whether they could. Uh, you know, service debt to buy the real estate. And so um, it worked out. And that, to me, that's more typical for what I see. Um, and and you never asked, yeah, you, you never asked me where I am. And I never said, but <laughs> I, am in, I, I am in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Um, and so, uh, you know, there are kind of local practices as well. And I don't know if it's different elsewhere, but that's typically a lot of what I see around here. So this is a, okay, so we're, the guys I'm circling with, we we don't go out after the software as a service and the dot coms and the, you know, mm-hmm. all that type of stuff at companies. Those are very competitive. Uh, there's nothing wrong with being in that space. It's just, we kind of go after the boring companies, the mom and pop, like I own a pest control company, a real estate company, those type of things. And um, they just turn out, you, you put money in, they pull out money. Yeah. But, uh, you know. Inside of the the that world, a lot of times when the owner's ready to retire, they're ready to retire. So you know they're like, "We'll sell you the you know the business and the real estate." And mm-hmm. what I do is facilitate the sale of that real estate to an institution that'll lease it back to them. And uh, if you you know, and they, like dental offices, medical offices are are real big because they have a great. Um, uh, a very very low default rate, so I think it's something like ninety eight percent success rate leasing yeah. to you know to medical uh, practitioners. So most of the uh, the real estate investment trust and stuff will will buy anything medical, dental, uh, that type of stuff. So right, right, cool. So um, looking here at the questions, I like to ask. Um, What's the biggest area around, uh, you know, mergers and acquisitions and stuff that you enjoy? Like, what are you curious about inside of the space? You've written books on it. So, you mm-hmm. know, what areas are you most interested in? Um, I'd like to, I guess, see other people's light bulbs come on. And, um, you know, I like to, you know, we're doing, I'm doing a deal before I got on with you today. Uh, I spent about 45 minutes on the phone with one of my clients who is, you know, we're doing, we're, we're selling off an interest in a company and um, we're trying to come up with a creative way to do it. And we bounced ideas off of each other. And eventually, you know, I came up with two ideas and that, that we hadn't thought of before, but I, I love that kind of that intellectual um, exercise of working with my clients, bouncing ideas off of each other and trying to figure out a way to help them accomplish their objectives. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's from what I like about the M and a space is I, sometimes I tell people a big role of me as a lawyer is to be a project manager. And I love to have my checklist of 70 to hundred items and to kind of put all those pieces of the puzzle together at in the time, you know, at the time they need to be put together so that we walk into closing and we're ready to go. And, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, I think that's the big draw to me is to help people, you know, achieve, achieve those objectives. I, I, I like to think that, that I'm helping people, you know, that's one reason I like to do the M&A work is because even though there may be some 
opposition in the negotiation, everybody's really trying to work toward the same goal. We're trying to put a deal together because the seller wants it and the buyer wants it. And and there may be some obstacles, but I like to see if we can come up with creative ways to come over, you know, get over those obstacles. But yeah, in the end, when we walk away from closing and everybody is kind of jazzed or juiced up to, to, you know, sellers happy to move on, buyers excited to get in. I think that's a great day. It's interesting because that's one of the things that, uh, you know, when you reached out on LinkedIn, I looked at your profile, looked at your website and it's like, wow, this guy's really, you know, customer focused. You know, you even mentioned inside of your LinkedIn profile, enjoying seeing your customers, you know, achieve goals they hit, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, so uh, that's one of the things that like, man, I do, I think I do want to talk to this guy. And, you know, I'd, I'd already had, a, we even interviewed an attorney, like one or two um podcast to go but you're different enough i was like this is going to be fun so i um i enjoy it thank you for being here and we got a couple more questions here so one of my favorite things to ask is i've asked you a few questions we've had a few conversations um one of the favorite things i like to ask is what should i be asking you all right as 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 both of us in the mergers and acquisitions world you know what should we be talking about so that the listeners who may be either buying or selling a business you know they get the most value yeah, I think the three things that I want my clients to ask me, and if they don't ask me, I'll bring it up. I want them to ask me, what are the biggest issues I should be looking out for in my deal? The second thing I want them to ask me is, how long is it going to take? And the third thing is, how much is it going to cost me? What are your fees going to be? And maybe what are what, what should I expect um, as far as other costs and expenses that I'm going to incur? I think if you're armed with those, especially if you're on the buyer side, if you're armed with those answers to those three questions, I think you'll feel a lot better about, you know, as the deal progresses through the process that, uh, you know, things, you won't be as stressed. You'll, you'll kind of be like, okay, this is normal. Uh, I knew we were going to, you know, we were going to encounter these things and, uh, and it's okay. You know, this is the way it's, it's commonly going to go. So those are my kind of my big three. So the, the answer to those three questions that change deal per deal or industry per industry, or there's some pretty solid, this is, I'm always going to answer at yeah. least this part. I think that the, the, the first question about, um, uh, you know, what are the significant issues are going to be driven by industry. Um, now there are going to be certain issues that are going to be the same in every industry, but, you know, like we were talking before, um, if you're buying a convenience store, they're going to be, you know, environmental may all of a sudden be a big issue. If you're buying an online uh, fulfillment business, uh, then environmental is not going to be an issue at all. Um, but what might be an issue in an online business is making sure I get uh, ownership of all of the intangible stuff, the intellectual property stuff. Um, and so uh, that that's second, you know, how long is it going to take? Um, I, I can tell you pretty much by asking you three or four questions, like who's the attorney on the other side? Uh, what's the purchase price? Uh, is there a lease involved or multiple leases involved that have to be transferred? And, uh, is there, uh, commercial financing involved? If, if I know the answers to those four questions, then I can tell you, okay, it's not going to close in two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. If, if, if there's a lender involved and there's a landlord involved, those are usually the two biggest uh, obstacles that slow things down, getting the lender to either give a new lease or to agree to, you know, the transfer of the existing lease and, and working through the loan process. Uh, they, they take a lot of time. And so, you know, your closing might be two or three months 
down the line. And that's good. That's fast, actually. Um, so, um, and again, knowing who the lawyers are on the other side, if, if you tell me that uh, your buyer is a, a P&E firm out of New York City and they're going to have a large New York law firm involved, it's going to take more time and it's going to cost more money because they're going to they're going to lawyer the thing to death, frankly. Um, right. Um, but and then fees, fees from a lawyer's perspective, I've done enough deals that if you can tell me the answers to those other questions, you know, the uh, who the lawyers are, what the purchase price is, I can give you a pretty good idea of what my fees are going to be. So. Right. It's like, I think a lot of it has to do with the deal, right? Uh, the difference yeah. between like uh, buying the pest control company, which was a micro purchase. I, I, I bought it before I got mentored. So the number one rule the mentors teach us now is don't buy another job. That one is definitely another job. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and then all right now I've got a team of like eight or nine of us um, that are doing an international roll up um, mm. of marketing firms. We're buying marketing firms from all over the world. Okay. And, uh, We've recruited some very top industry t- talent to like top of the top in the marketing space. Um, um, I haven't know if I have the permission to say their names quite yet because they just that's okay, the but that, that sounds really exciting. Yeah, so that's fun, and you know our goal is we're already talking to family offices, we're already talking to uh, the P and E firms, and uh, I think maybe a SPAC, uh, you know, the special acquisitions, the SPAC company, and. Because we want to build what they want to buy, right? So we're starting with the end in mind and talking to them like, hey, we're building this thing. Tell us what you want mm-hmm. so that as we build this out, we make sure we address those issues. And, you know, you, you get the, you know, we'll, we're, we'll custom build something for you pretty much. You know, we're going to, we're going to get those answers from three or four people and build what aligns across all of them. But, uh, you know, I can imagine the difference between the attorney when we go to close that, especially a per, you know, Oh, yeah. uh, our our target right now is a five hundred million dollar exit, right? Yeah. So uh, and the guy the the guy we just got approved last uh, last week, um, he's in the marketing hall of fame. The last one he just did, he, they acquired over two hundred marketing firms, hmm. and you know they created one of the you know top twenty or top fifty marketing firms on the planet by doing so. Wow. So we got a rock star, you know, that's helping us out. So hmm. I don't think we're having a problem doing this at all, right? You know. Yeah. But uh, and we've got four under LOI already. So three in, uh, on the other side of the pond in Europe and different places than wow, one here so cool. far. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool. But uh, yeah, so I mean, I could get it. You were saying the difference is like, what is their attorney on? You know, I don't know what, what our attorney side is going to look like until we see who we're selling it to and, mm-hmm. and, and the team they put together, because that's going to kind of dictate like what we need on this side and uh, how many, you know, how many hands are going to be in there. Um, we had an attorney set some of the stuff up. I don't know if you've ever read the book. Uh, um, what is it? I've got it here at my desk, so I don't butcher the name, but it's uh, Slicing slicing Pie. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Moyer, so, I think the author's yeah. name is. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we actually went and got one of his attorneys that he recommended because we're Great. the whole state, all the whole, our side of the you know, acquisition is structured with the slicing pie model. Gotcha. Right. So that we all have to work for our piece, including that's how we got these huge rock stars on. We just gave them a higher, a little bit of higher multiple, or, you know, we're working that out right now. Yeah. But, you know, they work so many hours, they get so many slices of, you know, shares of the business. And uh, so, um, I don't know if you've ever set up a deal with Mike, you know, Mike Moyer or actually, you know, or one of his attorneys, since yeah. you know who he is. But uh, we went out and got, that's who we set up our LLC with. That's a totally different attorney probably than when we go to sell it. Right. Right. You right. know, 
I need somebody that can interpret, you know, a, a P and E firms, you know, legalese when it comes across the table. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, it's, I can, I, I totally align with, you know, the attorney's team depends on who's on the other side. Right. Mm-hmm. So in my real estate business on, you know, the attorney for that I use for that, I went out and found out, like, I talked to two or three attorney friends of mine. I have a friend who's in law school and stuff like, like, who is everybody in town afraid of? <laughs> and like, do they, they don't lose cases. Everybody doesn't know if they see that name on there, they're not going to want to mess with, right. not want to mess with them. And then I put, I went out and put them on retainer for my business. And then, you know, for a little, little bitty problem I had, and now you're my attorney of record, anything pops up. I was like, I just talked to those guys and a lot of stuff just goes away. Cause I just don't yeah. want to mess with them. Yeah, I won't no, say who it is I, here, but anyway, it's uh, that's okay. No, I have, you know, I have guys like that locally that I refer, yeah. you know, if we, if we, if I have a client who, has a, a problem, then yeah, absolutely. You have two or three guys like that. And they, they likewise, if they, uh, you know, if somebody approaches them and says, uh, you know, we've got this little thing that a lot of times they'll send it over to me and say, Joel, see if you can negotiate a resolution to this. And if you can't, then kick it back to us and we'll, we'll, we'll get the big guns out. So, yeah. you know, this was a, uh, I did this because, you know, the funny thing was on that, the reason I got that firm involved originally was, the attorney that was servicing, or what do you call it, a contracted to us or whatever, he's a setting politician. Oh. And the guy that we were having a problem with had threatened the previous attorney. And, like, the attorney called me and said, is this guy really dangerous? He's threatening me and my family. I was like, you oh know my what? Gosh. So I hired a sitting politician as an attorney because if you threaten a sitting politician, the uh, Department of Homeland Security will get involved. <laughs> so I was kind of setting this guy, like, go ahead yeah. and threaten our guy. Let's, let's see what happens here, right? But, uh, you know, I get that. I mean, I, I, that is 100% accurate in – we have to click, right? Like you and I, I think we're getting along really good now. If I've got a project, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach out to you and you know, give you a shot at it just because I think we can communicate. That's more important to me than like whether you went to Ivy League or, you know, Little League. I don't, I don't care, right? Yeah. What I care is that we can communicate. You know, you have the credentials we need and, you know, you're thorough. Right. And I, I think that's, you know, very evident that you have a passion for it. Another thing is I always tell people and uh, you probably agree is don't don't ever take a you know, never hire an attorney that tells, tells you he hates to, to uh, go to court, you know, and you know, go on trial. If, if you think you're going to end up in court on trial. Right. Right. right? There's a real estate attorney in town. He, he'll tell you over and again. I hate I hate I hate being you know, I don't want to go to court. I, I, I don't. But people yeah. still hire him, you know, for things that they has to go to, you know, the eviction court and has to go through, oh. you know, some, you know, foreclosures and stuff. I was like, I just, I can't do it. If you tell me you hate doing something, you can't be good at it. No, and, and that's, <laughs> uh, I mean, I have certainly been to court in my career. Um, a lot of times because I'll have a client who says, will say to me, we've done so much work together and you know my mm-hmm. business so well, I don't want to refer it out. And if I lose, you know, it's, but frankly, I've won most of the times I've gone to court, I just don't like it that much. But um, I think it's, um, uh, to me, court is, in most instances, an inefficient way to resolve a conflict. And it many times comes down to gamesmanship and economics, right? If you have more money to pay your lawyer to, to do more lawyer stuff, then you might be able to squeeze or force the other person to settle with you. And, and so I see it. I see the importance of lawsuits because a lot of times they can be used as leverage to get a settlement done when, when somebody might not come to the table to try and negotiate a settlement. 
um, at the beginning of the problem. Um, but I'm not typically the guy, you know, I have other colleagues in town that I refer those problems off to, um, and they do a great job at it. So, you know, that's the second question I always ask if somebody tells me they don't enjoy going to court is like, okay, in the event you have to defend the contracts right. you created, right. who are you going to recommend right. we, that we, we do? Because I don't mind if it's not you. I just want to know who, you, you know, do you have somebody like, yeah. if, if this needs to be defended, I'm ironclad. I know I did it right. And I want you to go to this guy because he's going to be able to argue that in front of the judge. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that's the, that's something important to me in, in, in that space. So we're, we're, we're about 40 minutes. Right. Into this. Let's do the part where like, how do people reach out to you? How do they get a hold of you? Uh, yeah. What's the best way if they want to learn more about who you are and what you're doing and maybe need some help with some business acquisitions and merger stuff or commercial real estate? Yeah. I mean, easy ways to reach me. I have a website, so it's just my name, joelankney.com. We'll get you to my website. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, so I respond pretty quickly to people. Um, if you want my books, they're on Amazon. They're on Audible. If you want a uh, an audio book, um, very, I have a very distinctive last name, so it's not hard to find me. Typically, if you just Google my name, I'm going to be the only one who pops up. So it's, and it's a n k n e y. Correct. Okay. Yes. Yep. Cool. So, all right. So uh, that's. Is there? Let me think real quick. Um, is there anything I missed? I mean, is there something we should have just covered in this time frame, or something you just like? You know, you feel like, oh, man, I wish we would have talked about. Um, I, you know, I think that uh, we have touched on a lot of issues, and they've been really good. And I think that one of the things that. I see sometimes, and I think we've kind of danced around this this issue, is that it's really good to do, you know, as you're preparing to do an acquisition or a sale, that part of that preparation includes learning how to work with a lawyer, learning what the lawyer's role is, learning perhaps, um, you know, what you can get out of a lawyer and, and what to expect when you work with a lawyer. I think that's part of the reason why I wrote the book is because I wanted people to feel prepared when they came in to talk to me. Um, so, you know, I appreciate what you do. Uh, I think there's uh, the small to medium sized business. Uh, the reason I even got into this space out of real estate is I just see it's really underserved. There's just a lot of small to medium mom and pop, mm-hmm. you know, 50 person, 100 person, you know, basically anything under $25 million in revenue businesses that, don't really have anywhere to go. There's just not a huge buyer pool for them. Mm-hmm. And they're wonderful businesses uh, in, oh, yeah. in, in employing amazing people. Um, you know, I walked through a, a concrete plant around December. Unfortunately, they had a few issues that kept us from moving forward. Um, but, you know, I walked in there and those they were third generation and the employees, some of the employees like my granddad worked here. Wow. You know, you know, it's just that it's a small town, great, great company. And I hope when they get their uh, some legal, you know, legal stuff and some other stuff done, I hope to see them back in front of me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, so, yeah. So I appreciate your time. Um, uh, the LinkedIn description will actually I'll, I'll put a link to your uh, LinkedIn profile in the description of it so people can jump to you. Okay, great. Uh, that'd be cool. And then uh, I might. I, I've got the, both titles of your book are already in the description. I'll see if I can't jump on Amazon or something and throw some links in there for that too. Let's, oh, make, it easy, let's make it easy for people to, yeah. to reach out to yeah. you. I appreciate your time and uh, I think we'll end the stream now and wish everybody a great day. Okay, Ron, thanks for having me on.
Today's show is brought to you by the Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind combines the peer-to-peer mastermind introduced first in Napoleon Hill's famous book, Think and Grow Rich, with accountability partnering where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to TIEPM.com. That's T-I-E-P-M.com and check out the Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind.